All right, welcome to episode one of Put On A Record, where we will discuss uh, mostly hip-hop, maybe some other music as we see fit. Uh, I am your host, Dylan, and my co-hosts are Dwayne. How you doing? John. What up? And uh, at some point, maybe Marquise and uh, occasionally Chris and, you know, whoever wants to jump on. So... Uh, I'm going to start with Dwayne, because you have probably a longer history in this than, than most of us. <laughs> yeah. How did you How did you get into hip-hop music in general? All right, well, it's pretty interesting, because I got like an eclectic history of music. Uh, my mom was very much OG country, uh, bluegrass style. Uh, dad was very much Pink Floyd Beatles. Uh, and my brother is five years older than me, so he was out there before I was. So he was in the early age, uh, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, uh, Ice-T, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, like every little brother wants to be like their big brother. So uh, so I got the early, early age hip hop at an early age, pretty much. So he was like 10 and I was like five, you know, so I'd have the, the like cop, cop killer by bounce, uh, you know, stuff like that just being played at the house. So. It was real interesting, gravitated towards it. And then by the time I was like in fifth grade, I was in a pride, in a predominantly African-American setting, basically. Um, so that was the music of the era. So I grew up in the 90s uh, music, so golden era of hip hop. Uh, and then just kept sticking with it from there. So like by the end of the 90s, you know, you got the itch pretty much. Uh, listening to Pac Big and Beastie Boys and every everything in between. So started doing it, started doing it late 90s. I think 97 was like the first thing that I actually recorded. But uh, and then from there, it just kind of kept growing and morphing into a little bit of everything. It makes sense that you would get into it at the golden age of hip hop. I feel like if you didn't get into it then and got into it, I mean, because because then it was it was an introduction for a lot of people, whereas now it I would say it's the most popular genre of music. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I remember when I was walking around the store and found the uh, Eminem "Still Don't Give a Fuck" single on tape, uh, and that was my inter- introduction to what would be you know one of the top selling hip hop artists of all time. Uh, and, you know, you buy it because, yo, that looks interesting. You know, it's new. It's something different. And, you know, before my name is and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah. So, like, I've, I've seen the rise of a lot of great hip hop icons and then, you know, seen a lot of them pass away and fade away into obscurity, too. So, yeah, if I don't I don't think that if I would have picked it up post Eminem, that I would be anything like I am now. Uh, you know, I've got a balance of pretty much every flavor out there. Good deal. John? Well, I was just going to mention that that is a good segue into, hey, here's John, because I never really had an introduction to music until I met Dwayne. And the introduction was, let's start a band. So it was a little different for me where I got to learn a lot about hip hop and other music through somebody else who's already known it and he's trying to introduce it to me, but I don't really have a genre or a group or a love of any one type of music. I kind of listen to anything and everything. 
You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm the same way. And, and you know, you and you and Dwayne met because of music, and and I met you guys years later because of music through you know a right. mutual friend. And that's it, it's yeah. strange because that that's what brought all of us together. Uh, is music is music? Yes. Right. And and we found other things you know throughout that, but. So how I got into it is way different than you guys. So I'm, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you guys. And uh, I did, I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian neighborhood and hip hop was not at the forefront of really anything in my upbringing. Um, You know, my, my dad kind of the same as Dwayne's dad. They're about the same age, you know, Beatles, Pink Floyd, Joe Cocker, whatever. My mom will kind of listen to whatever's on. Um, I remember being real young and uh, my sister playing NWA for me, <laughs> and I thought it was cool because it said cuss words. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it, <laughs> right, it, but it didn't really, really stick with me. And so, what really got me into to rap music, which is is really bizarre when you look at it now, is is Nickelodeon. So back in the nineties. Nickelodeon had a, a, I would assume, a decent working relationship with a few hip hop artists. Um, Coolio, for instance, um, did the the theme song for Keenan and Kel, and he was featured as an artist on the All That uh, skit show quite a bit, along with uh, DeBrat and TLC. And I, I remember Coolio. My dad bought me uh, a Coolio tape. It was. Um, it was Gangsta's Paradise, which I think most people know from Coolio. And and I remember seeing It Takes a Thief at Best Buy. And I wanted it, wanted it, wanted it. And my dad wouldn't buy it for me. And I couldn't I couldn't understand why. And I, you know, it was because it said cuss words. And you, you're not going to buy your six, seven-year-old kid a CD <laughs> with cuss words. That's true. So what did I do? I, I conned my grandmother into buying me the tape. Because she didn't know it. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> And and back then, I mean, it, it's way different now. But back then, if you had a tape or a CD with a parental advisory sticker on it in your pocket, you might as well have a pack of cigarettes. It was it was it was it was cool. Whereas now, you know, nobody cares, and and smoking isn't cool to kids. <laughs> I mean, smoking isn't cool in general. But like, you know, I've got a twelve year old daughter. Nobody smokes. They all vape. Oh God, vaping. Yeah, it is what it is. What it is. <laughs> it's just a different era. We're just gonna have to adjust, right? Yeah. Right. Which, which brings us to our topic, um, which is music from today's era. Uh, we're gonna be talking about Juice World, Legends Never Die, um, which is his first posthumous album. Is it? Did I say that right? Humanus? No. Is it humus? Posthumous. First posthumous album. Yeah. Uh, yes. Released July tenth of this year. Yeah, I think that's correct. So it was released July 10th of this year. Um, as we all know, he did pass away December of last year, just six days after his 21st birthday from an overdose of Oxycontin and codeine, which you will see is a theme throughout a lot of it his is a theme. Um, and he, he is regarded as one of the pioneers of emo rap. Um, him, XXXTentacion, and Lil Peep, which you know, is three, a little bit three ironic. Three for three, yeah. Three for three, yeah. They they have all passed away. 
Um, and Oof. and death, depression, and dr- drug abuse is a theme throughout all of their music. Um, you know, Lil Peep also passed away uh, of an overdose, whereas X was murdered in a robbery. Um, but I just find it very strange that the three of them um, are all deceased and, and, and are regarded as the pioneers of this genre. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say Pac and Big are the pioneers of gangster rap, but you also saw them meet their demise in the same manner that they present their music. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so Juice World was born in Chicago. And when I when I ask you, you know, name me one Chicago hip hop artist, who do you go to? Common. John? I am not the guy. Nah, come on, John. You know you know so, you know Twista. You know Twista though. And Kanye. Yeah, that's true. Twista. So Kanye. I, I would have said Lupe. So you you know, you've got common Twista, Lupe, and, and Juice World doesn't fit that mold. No, not in at all. Any way, shape, or form. But I think the problem Which, with that I think the problem with that is we just named artists from the nineties. You ain't named one from early mid two thousands. You know what I mean? So like Lupe yeah. is more in the vein of Kanye in common than Twista, obviously. But like this is just the younger right. generation. You know what I mean? It's even right, right. farther yeah. removed from what would be their influences. Their in his influence wouldn't have been those guys because they'd have been the old guys by then. Even even Lupe to an yeah. extent would have been like, yo, that's old head rap. Yeah, exactly. It's very generational. And my daughter reminds me all the time how old Eminem is and how old people listen to Eminem. Yeah, 45. Hey, you know, he's trend- He's trending on Twitter, right? Uh, I did yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah it said R.I.P. Eminem. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, so people are posting memes about it right now. And somebody uh, Googled up the life expectancy for Eminem candies. And it said 45 years. And Eminem's 45 years old. So... I hope just, we get just, a decent track out of this. Yeah, just a weird conspiracy, uh, I think, is what's going on. But it's interesting. Right. It's pretty good. So before we delve into this, um, I did look at a few things. And his record label and, and his family or his estate claims that he has over 2,000 finished tracks. And see, and, wow. and you know what? Uh, with Based on what I know about him and the way he recorded, I wouldn't be surprised about that. But... To say finished, I wouldn't to either, say finished recordings, that would be relative. You know what I mean? Like he could have five right. songs over the same track based on the way that he recorded. And when we get into it, I think that's part of my problem with his new album, basically. But yeah, so I mean I will but, yeah, I will get into that. Yeah, too, being I found that interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so being being as young as he was, I remember being, you know, nineteen, twenty, locked in seven days a week, you know, crafting. So, I mean, if he just walked in a room with a producer who had 10 tracks, he seemed like the type to drop 50 a night. You know what I mean? Like, just run through it five, six times and then move right. on to the next one. So, and then, you know, collaborations and stuff. Yeah, I can, that I can see happening, is, but I don't see him releasing and when you when you see with some of the producers he's worked with, I could totally see that happening, too. Um, prior to him passing, he originally had announced a new album called Outsiders. Um, his family and Interscope have claimed that that was an actual album and is an actual album. However, they decided to release this project instead. So maybe in the future we will get Outsiders, which is what he intended to be released. Yeah. 
but time time will tell. And if he really does have that many, uh, you know, finished or semi-finished tracks, then I'm sure we we will get that. At yeah, because I could see outsiders being quote unquote done. You know what I mean? Like because like had the features lined up and stuff and didn't get it all the way worked out or had clearance issues. You know what I mean? That stuff happens all the time. So instead of releasing a partially visioned album from him, it'd be better to wait. So I could see from a record and family standpoint, postponing that until they get all the ducks in a row and get the business handled. Definitely. All right. So jumping into the first track on Legends Never Die, uh, it's it's an intro uh, titled Anxiety. I found this to be somewhat eerie and prophetic, you know, spoken word, which I wouldn't necessarily say is uncommon from from people who have passed. I mean, we've heard some of it from Pac, um, but it is a a somewhat eerie way to start. Yeah, well, see, I think that's a ploy by, let's just say, the label, because I don't think the family would intentionally did that, unless they were drawing attention to the issue. Because to me, it didn't sound like he went in the booth to record that specific thing. So to me, it's taken from an interview somewhere, realistically, where he was talking about everything, pretty much. And since that is a big... Oh, a big focus in his life. They were like, yeah, you know what? Let's chop that. Let's put it on there because we're going to start getting into everything that he talked about, not just, you know, the avenue that he was popular for doing because that's the other stuff. That's the stuff people didn't want to hear pretty much. So I think they tack it on first just to, you know, break the ice so there's no illusions of perfection pretty much. So you go in listening, expecting there to be human flaws basically because he's presenting himself as flawed in the intro. Definitely. It's fair. Can't even argue that. Yeah. And I think he does that in the next track, which is Conversations, produced by Ronnie J. Oh, my God, Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in this track, he he does talk about his Oxycontin addiction um, and how it's not always glamorous, which I think you can maybe hear artists talk about prescription drugs in a glamorous way and and sometimes they don't speak about it in a glamorous way but it's not in a serious tone where where they're speaking as you know i could overdose from this and maybe it is a cry for help sometimes i don't know so so to take that idea like not to, you know him saying you know drugs are bad okay uh, that's been a thing that's been a thing that's been going on forever so like it's the popular music now you know, the drug abuse is kind of a thing that's out there now. But back in the late 90s, hip hop rap artists were saying, yo, the streets aren't the way, you know, gang violence, gangs aren't the way. You know, what I mean, like there's always been the popular people who yeah. said, yeah, I'm that doing this. Track. Yeah, exactly. So I'm doing this. I'm portraying it, but I'm not portraying it for you to do it. I'm portraying it to show you this like this is real life. This is my life. This isn't the life you should choose. And it's been, you know, every generation's had that. And I think with peak dying and similar things like that, people overdosing that, you know, that's a real conversation that his people are having with them. Like, you know, this isn't good for you. You know, maybe you should, you know, tone it down a little bit. You know, the labels are definitely telling them that, Uh, you know, so to bring that up, you'd be like, you know, the other side of the coin, so to speak, I think is just a natural progression of him as an artist, just finding, you know, that balancing ground. Yeah, it's fun, but obviously I could die from this. And I think it was a good way for them to put it on early in the project, you know, that 
he was trying to turn it around a little bit. You know what I mean? Like not make it his everyday job, you know, tone it down just a little bit. Yeah, yeah I agree. Definitely has a tone of, um, you know, hopeful patience in there to me in, in my ideas of it. Um, I feel like he, in this song, was saying just like Dwayne was talking about that he knows he's got to kind of be patient with what's going on, chill out and relax and not make it the full game. So it helps that the track is dope. I I, enjoy, I like it. Yes, this is I, to me this is one of the best ones on the album. Ah. Yeah, I think he had a good use of yeah. auto-tune well, see, in it as well. See, me, I didn't think it was that, you know, that good. Like, for me, I ended up giving it a C. But based on a couple of different elements, like, on the chorus, like, to me, like, it should have been built out. Like, you could definitely tell the way he records where he just goes and one takes the whole thing. Like, I mean, I was like, yo, it's missing that harmony. You know what I mean? Like, it's missing him putting that extra on it to bring it out. You know, and then uh, the other like I'm a producer, so I go back and forth with the beats. But like it seemed incomplete, like it was missing that element to complement his melody that he was doing, basically. So like I knocked it down a little bit based on those things. I think lyrically and flow melody wise that he was doing, everything was flawless. But like as a track overall, I thought it was could have been a little bit better based on his past work. Okay, fair enough. Um, track three, Titanic, produced by Die Crazy. Um, I thought it flowed well, but it's not, it, it had a really relaxing melody, but it's not super special. I mean, it's okay. It sounded lazy to me. <laughs> yeah. So, that, I, mean, I mean, that's <laughs> all right. That's it, it, like, legitimately sounded like a lazy song. Like, he either didn't want to do it, wasn't really feeling it, you know, whatever it was, just felt lazy. Yeah. So, I thought that it was the beat that made it as chill as it was. Like I like as far as lyrics and vocally, it was what I expect from him. You know, chorus was catchy, all the verses were solid. So I ended up giving it a B, a B, but like I said, it wasn't the greatness that we want from him. You know, so I can see what John's saying, but I, I think cannot... that it was the more the instrumentation around him that didn't elevate his vocals to something other than, like I said, more relaxed. Um, next, that's fair. I can't. I can't agree with the fact that this one is better than the last one, than than conversations. I like the conversations better than I like Titanic. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, next is Bad Energy, produced by Take a Day Trip. Day Trip took it to ten. Um, it, it's about drugs again, which is an ongoing theme throughout this entire album. Um, the hook was. I really enjoyed the hook. And yeah, extra nice. Verse, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. second dude went off on the second verse. Exactly. Um, other than that, it, it it kind of was what it was. I mean, it's again not super special, but it was it was one of the better ones. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I gave I gave it a B as well. But my my initial thought was, yo, this really needs a triple X verse. You know what I mean? Like an X. Yeah, like, like, yeah. like I think that that would have pushed it over the top. And then when I had that, you know, based on the chorus, like the chorus would have fit perfectly with them. You know what I mean? You can just hear him coming in with it. And then the more I thought about it and the more I listened to the song, I was just like, you know what? This would have been better with a more stripped down X or Pete beat. You know, it's got the 808s and everything in there, but I think if they took the electric elements out and made it more like that, like it would have fit like the way he did it so much better. 
But overall, I enjoyed the track. Like I said, I, th- I labeled it a B, so I think that it was a very well put together. But it's just like, like I said, I, I, I hear X on it every time I played it. Yeah. John? I, I thought it sounded slow. I do like the fact that he used the double time flow. It Well, introduced it into this album or whatever. But um, I don't know. I thought it sounded really slow. Like, not that he was off beat, but that he wasn't on beat. Or that the whole entire thing was off beat. All right. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like it was on the wrong so, side so of the beat. So on this album, I've got like a problem with, because like I said, with the way he recorded tracks, I think a lot of these were recorded to other things. And I think that some of the producers went in and, I, and picked their favorite part. Like, yo, I really like this chorus. And they produced a beat to the chorus as opposed to the verses as well. You know, and didn't take the time to round it out to make it all mesh together. And I think that that's probably one of the culprits. Uh, like, could have used a little more time being cooked in the studio as opposed to running through. I could see that. That makes sense. And the fifth track was the first single for this album, uh, Righteous, produced by Nick Mira. Um, it's it's about drugs, again. Um, and it's really not the strongest track. Like, this was... No. I'm surprised that this was the first single, because I really don't care for this at all. It was super repetitive. Yeah, well, yes. So, the thing that I liked about it was, like I said, like, the beat for real, like it matched everywhere. You know, it didn't seem like it was thrown together. So to me, this could be one of those quote unquote thousand songs that he's got done, you know? So like it was already ready. Like it could have been cut from something else. Like for what we know, it could be cut from outsiders. Like, you know, just didn't make his final list. And so it was already very, so it was already ready. So overall I enjoyed it. Like, I don't think it's one of the top songs on there, but, uh, out of what I've heard so far, it felt like the most cohesively put together song. Like it was what he intended to do. Whether he intended to do it or not, I think it was a swing and a miss. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not a great song by any means. So I'm like taking it in context. It didn't stand out and it didn't just completely ruin the album. It just kind of, kind of fit with the subject and mood of it overall. Yeah. The sixth track is Blood on My Jeans by uh, produced by 808 Mafia. Um, this is an absolute throwaway track. I'm going to just say it. This track is garbage. Um, <laughs> I did chuckle at the line where he says, apologize, apologies for my fuckery. Uh, <laughs> yes. Other than that, uh, yes. no, I don't like it. Yeah. So I gave it, I gave it a C, now, which is my normal, like it's average as hell. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it had potential to be a radio type song. Like, it could have not been great, but fit in with the way the radio is right now. Like, I like the melody that he was doing, but I think the I think the beat was all wrong. Like, the acoustic guitar, I think, weren't the direction that it should have been. I think the drums were missing a bounce to complement what the way he was delivering. Like, I think it should have been more of an electric type melody to it. But uh, basically, I think 808 Mafia probably ruined whatever idea he originally had. Which that, is weird because I like acoustic guitar and I did not like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that I think everything was just put together wrong. Like, I think 808 Mafia had an idea like, hey, he sounds like this. 
you know, I mean, X sounds like this, Peep sounds like this. I think that putting an acoustic guitar with this would be good. You know what I mean? And it just kind of just got thrown together. It didn't seem authentic at all. Like, uh, it does sound thrown together a lot. Yeah. All right. So track seven, this is an interesting one. Smile featuring the weekend produced by CXDY. And I don't know if that's supposed to be pronounced a certain way. Uh, if somebody knows, please correct me. But this is the sixth single from the album, and it was omitted from the album when it was originally released. So if you got this album day one on Spotify or Apple Music, this track was not included and was added later. Yeah, and you can tell. You can totally yes. tell. Because so, you know this isn't an authentic so, track. Like, The weekend is... He's no. got a history of jumping on other people's songs to round it out. Uh, and I think yes. he's done way better on other things. Like, he just kind of just tacked his verse on, and that was it. You know, he was good. Weekend was good. Like, he did his thing. But, like, he didn't add anything. Like, if he would have just cut short, I think the song would have been just as good. I think we I have, agree. Yeah. I think we're all going to agree on this one, and we all probably have similar thoughts. Um, the weekend, you cannot convince me that the weekend was not added. Like, oh, yeah. Like, th that, that was added way later. And, and it does not flow well. Um, the beat was cool. Uh, it does kind of seem like a recycled version of Bad Energy to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, and that's one of my notes throughout the whole thing was that, hey, he doesn't change up his melody, tempo, or style enough. You know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't experiment. So right. to me, it could have been over the Bad Energy beat, which was fine because, you know, we liked it. You know what I mean? Like, we like the beat on that. So I think this one, like, it just wasn't right. Like, it fit his verses, but didn't really fit the chorus. So, like, to me, it just threw it off. But I thought the chorus was great. You know, liked his verses the whole nine. And then my favorite part of the beat was the outro. Like, I listened to that outro, and I'm just like, you know what? Juice would have destroyed that. And then he didn't put his voice over it at all. You know, to me, so it kind of sounds like it was right. an afterthought altogether. Like it was thrown together Definitely. from a track that some a producer didn't pick. Definitely. Yep. All right. Track eight is Tell Me You Love Me featuring Trippy Red, also produced by Nick Mira. I believe he produced a number of songs on this album. This was the second single, um, which I thought was a good second single. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the hook, um, but Trippy's verse was good. I really enjoyed the beat. Trippy kind of reminds me of X on this and saves the track for me. Wow. Um, which Trippy ran in the same circles as X. Oh, yeah. um, and, and I don't, I'm not 100% if they, him and Juice had worked together prior to this track. I know that Trippy and Peep did not work together, but Peep ran in a circle of his own. Yeah, so yeah, I liked it, but I'm not a big Trippy fan. Um, so, like, I listened to it, and I'm like, yeah, Juice was cool. But and then Trippy came on, I'm like, you know what? He complimented it. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't do anything too extra, you know, to set himself, like, to be the star of the song, basically. You know how some people do, they come on it. You know, hey, you don't have a chance to beat me on the song that we're on. You know, that kind of thing. I don't I don't necessarily disagree, but I do think Trippy got him. Yeah, and that's I, I, I think he had a yeah, better that's, verse. I do yeah, that's that's fine. Like I said, I don't think he went in there with that intention. Like it didn't come across that way. You know, what I mean, you can you no, just use your natural right. talent and it rides for what it is. 
Um, yeah, because I don't think he, you know, when Eminem the track by any means, you know, went in there with the intention of being the best person on the song. I think he went in there with the intention of making the song great. Yeah, it ain't no Ludacris yeah. and T.I. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> but overall, I didn't love the song. I didn't love it. So, But it was it was fine. I thought the beat was a little busy for what Juice was doing. Like, the drums felt like they were a little too fast for the cadence he was trying to do. But overall, it was decent. Right. Ninth track is Hate the Other Side, featuring Polo G and Kid Leroy, produced by Marshmallow. Um absolute fucking banger and everyone kills it and kid Leroy, i think is going to be fairly successful in the future oh yeah yeah, yeah. thought it was go ahead i thought it was okay it, it wasn't a bad song i can't say i think it's a banger yeah so I, I this is i gave it a b like i thought the flow and melody were exactly what i expected from from them you know what i mean and the feature was great solid verse but as a Mel- marshmallow fan like he totally phoned it in and you'll see that you'll see it. Oh yeah, you'll see absolutely. it later on on this other track that he just comes and makes a production out of it. Like to me, to <laughs> me, this sounds like it was a track that Mello basically just sent the files over. Like, hey, yo, you want me to redo this song? And you know what I mean? And kind of just did it because it's not broke up. Like if you listen to any Marshmallow production, like he makes it a thing. It has breakdowns, buildups, you know, takedowns. Like it has all the components of like a masterpiece every song he does. And this one just pretty much sounded like he sent in, you know, eight and 16. It's like it wasn't, the beat wasn't special, but being Marshmallow, he couldn't send a bad beat. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, he just didn't put in the time and effort to make it great. So I ended up giving the track a B overall. So like it could have been better, but it was definitely a solid track. Cool. Track ten, get through it. Skit. I have nothing on this. I just whatever. yeah, I cross, I, cross, I cross it out. Well, well <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just get through it. Yeah, let's just, and go to let's life's just a mess. Get through it. Life's a mess. Track eleven, featuring Halsey, produced by Kudo and Rick Rubin. Uh, absolute fucking legend. Uh, this was the third single. Again, I I loved this one, and I I did have a note here on Halsey. Um, Halsey works very well with hip-hop oh yeah she's got the she's got the voice for it absolutely yeah and like she's she's borderline making me a fan hey (laughs) oh i am a fan i'm actually a little disappointed in her verse on this song because i am a fan of hers and i know how good she can do oh you know what i mean like uh she was on that post malone track and fucking killed it right so for what it's worth i was a little disappointed in that but it's a pretty good song so i thought that I wanted more juice. Like I said, I wanted the harmonies on stuff and he just doesn't do that. Yeah. And then when Halsey came in, I was like, you know what, if she, if they would have pulled her in earlier, you know what I mean? To, to, yep. to cover yes. his gaps, you know, bring that harmony in it. It has sounded more cohesive, but I thought that she was a good choice for rounding out the song, even though she's obviously added at the end of the song. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't intentioned to yep. that way, but uh, the beat is very much what's, what's going on right now. So I ended up giving the song a, uh, which is my first A of the project, actually, because uh, I thought it was very well put together. Like I said, I just was missing that little extra that Juice doesn't do unless the producer told him to. And, you know, if Rick Rubin was there, he'd have him do it because, you know, Rick, like he, he's, I was about to he's say, going Bryce, to do it. Is Rick Rubin the reason for your A? <laughs> no, well, no, because I, I went in, I did it on Spotify, so I didn't even dig into the producer notes. Uh, so if there wasn't a voice okay. tag on it, but uh, you could definitely – 
tell that it was well put together. But, you know, listening to interviews of artists and Rick Rubin himself, like he works a certain way. He wouldn't have let him just ride without building it up a little more. Like, so he obviously was brought in to help produce it as opposed to uh, being part of the recording process. Yeah. All right, the 12th track and the fourth single, Come and Go, produced by Marshmallow. Uh, this is the best song on the album. Absolutely. Hands down. Yep. Hand, yep. Hands down the best song on the album. Um, it, was, it was introspective. The beat and the hook are amazing. Uh, in spite of the introspective lyrics, it's a party track. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why this was not the lead single. Well, I think that it has to do with a lot of things like I, to me, I think this was actually a marshmallow track, like before it became a Jeep track. Like it may have been something that they had to negotiate out because it's too perfect. You know what I mean? It fits more in line with what marshmallow does with the pop artists, like just the way the vocals are in there. It's not just one take all the way through. It's well put together. He's got his buildings and breakdowns. So it sounds like, if you Google or if you Spotify or Apple music or whatever, marshmallow and basically all his stuff, his stuff, not other people's stuff that he produces. It sounds like that, like it's a finished project. Uh, to me, it sounds like a song that he actually had done before he passed. Like, cause it feels too complete. A rough demo of the song was teased by juice in 2018 per yeah. wiki. So, ah, so, all right. Well, so maybe not. But very possible it was already finished. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, like, it just sounds too good compared to the other things on there. Uh, and it sounded like it was probably done ahead of time. But it was the first song that I heard on here that stuck with me. Like, you know, you get done and you're walking around cooking dinner or whatever. And that chorus is in my head, you know, out of everything I listened to that day. That was the one that uh, stuck with me. So that definitely has replay, more replay value than some of the other ones. Absolutely. All right. Track 13, I Want It, produced by Dre Moon and One Mind. I absolutely hated this. Um, it was, it was. Oh, see, I like this one. It was, it was way too mumble rap for me. Yeah, I can see that. Really? Yeah. So I ended up saying that he didn't do anything extra. You know what I mean? Like it just, it seemed like he went in and, yeah. and did what he does. Like he didn't put any extra effort into it. So. Yeah, so I can understand what you're saying. Like, it just doesn't sound great. I thought that it was sounded like him, but not a song that he would have put on the album, pretty much. You, you got to give him uh, love for the line. Oh, shit, where's it at? Uh, too legit to yep. quit. <laughs> I was I, I love that line. That that made me a big happy. See, I, and I've got a. I'm not a huge fan of MC Hammer for my own personal reasons. It has nothing to do with his music, but uh, yeah, I would I wouldn't have jumped over an MC Hammer reference. Yeah. Eh, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> well, you got to think, Dylan. John's older than you are. That's that's yes. true. So, so we uh, grew up in have, the Hammer. Have either era. of you have either of you seen yeah. him live? Uh, no, not don't. since the '90s. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't. <laughs> oh God, I would never. Um, all right. Anything else on that one? No, I think that was it. Like Good it just call. wasn't great. You know what I mean? But it was, it was yeah. fine. Yeah. All right. Track 14 is fighting spirits produced by Nick Mira. Um, I, I like it. 
I I almost felt like he was trying trying to say too much um, in in one track. Um, I did chuckle at the chip chip cheerio line. Um, I I I gotta say that this is probably the only hip hop song that has that rep that that phrase in it. At least since the nineties, like I'd have to dig deep. To find something, but yeah, it's definitely not uh, something. My we guess use. is you're you're gonna be digging real deep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to me, like the vibe reminded me of Lucid Thoughts. Like if you listen just to instrumentation, and like you mean Lucid Dreams? Sorry, yeah, Lucid Dreams typos. Um, but yeah, so like it seemed like that. Like he didn't do anything extra, but it had his sound to it. And then to come across what you were saying, like I thought the beat was nice, but all the verses seemed fast. Like it seemed like it was put together right. after it was recorded. Uh, so like the beat worked really well for the chorus, which is kind of why I think that it is from something else, but they didn't take the time to mesh really, you know, put the verses in the way they needed to be. So yeah. And, so like yeah. they're all on the right beat, yeah. but like the beat needed to do something different because he did something different. And so I ended up writing it a C cause yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was well put together at all. Yeah, I did feel like he was fumbling over himself a lot of the track. Track 15, Wishing Well, produced by Dr. Luke. This was the fifth single from the album. Um, I love the beat. I love the hook. I love the drugs killing me softly like Lauren Hill line. I felt like this was one of the better tracks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I ended up giving it an A. I like Luke, and I'm not surprised now that I know he produced it. Uh, I think this one would do well on the radio pretty much is what I know it was. Uh, but I didn't think he did anything too extra. Like he was just in his pocket. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have to do anything extra. I think the beat and him just complimented each other so well that uh, he didn't have to do anything extra to make it exactly what it was. John. I liked it. It was a good song. Um, I mean, it, it definitely stayed on topic of the anxiety thing throughout the entire cascade of the album. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely an overarching theme. So, outside of that, I like the song. All right, track 16, Screw Juice, produced by Nick Mira. Uh, it, it's, it is, this is the most okay track. It, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I was literally just going to say, I love this beat and I hate this beat all at the same time. Yeah. I think this is a victim of another one of those reproduced because uh, to me it has the X, the triple X vibe to it, but it doesn't have the beat to complement what juice is doing. Like it seemed like it needed more of the acoustic yeah. vibe, which is, you know, kind of a, I, kind of a thing that they've done on this project is took some of the, the more natural elements out and overproduced the track in a bad way. Which I thought was weird. Cause Nick Mira is like his borderline in house. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just real okay. Like nothing, nothing super special. Yeah, exactly. It was it's a solid C on my list. Like it wasn't great, you know. But see, and I, I've got it as a D. Yeah, and that's and that's yeah. fair. Like to me, I'll call it a D plus. Yeah, like like I didn't differentiate minuses and pluses on here because uh, I just thought that you know that's just too many elements. You're taking it from five to ten, basically. Right. Uh, so no, I threw it in there as a C. Like if it wasn't there, I wouldn't be mad, but it's there, and I'm not mad. Like it's just extra regular. It's not like if I was listening to the album, I wouldn't skip it, but I'm not going to put it on any playlist right. that I make. And I think right. that it's a victim of falling behind wishing well, pretty much like. 
it's a solid. Uh, yeah. Like if it had been after some yeah. of the lesser good songs, that I think that it would have felt better. But uh, yeah, I think coming after a well-produced song that it just, it fell flat. Fair. Fair. <laughs> Track 17, Up, Up, and Away, produced by Kudo. Um, I hated this one. The flow was weird. Oh, man. He's doing... I really like this one. No, no. The flow is weird. He's doing way too much with the high notes. It reminds me of that Lil Yachty track, Minnesota. <laughs> that's that's I... a crazy comparison, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I hated it. Like, to me, I thought it was a good album cut, like, on any project, pretty much. Like, it was... It borderline had pop appeal, like he could gravitate that way. I thought the chorus was pretty strong and the verses were fine. Uh, but my favorite part was that it had ukuleles and bongos in it. I thought it was a, a, cra- a, crazy, <laughs> a crazy type of vibe for him, you know? Uh, yeah, it, it did have yeah, a crazy overall, vibe. I felt it was unpolished, but it kind of worked, you know what I mean? Like, so to me, I think that it could have been a finished song that obviously didn't make the cut for whatever reason. All right, I'm going to take two seconds to get a glass of water before we get into the next one. Um, this is where we'll put like the anchor sponsorship deal. Hey, we can we could use some money. Three be music. Yeah, no, like anchor allows you, anchor immediately sponsors you. So nice. nice. Yeah, so we'll make like six cents. <clears throat> Can't be mad at hey, that. That's more than a stream. Right. Truth. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm just guessing. I'm just throwing six cents oh, on, on there. It's probably six tenths of a six one hundredths of a cent. Dylan, at this point, I don't want my two cents. Like literally, I'm giving you two cents yeah. to be here. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm good. <laughs> All right. So track eighteen is a skit, but I actually have a lot to say about this. Uh, Man Myth Legend. So first off, shout out Adam twenty two, who's at the beginning of this. Right. Um I think we should all strive to live Adam 22's life. Um, like, what does the guy do besides sit around and talk to rappers all day and have a porn star girlfriend? Mm-hmm. And, and he does porn with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, so shout out Adam 22. But uh, side game. <laughs> uh, Juice receives high praise from a lot of legends. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and and that that's what's why I feel like this skit is important. He gets high praise from from Eminem, um, from Lil Dicky, who yeah are, I mean Eminem. We you know we mentioned earlier one of the greatest of all time. Lil Dicky, um, us, even though he does you know comedy rap, um, I don't think there's any debating that he's one of the best freestyle artists ever. Oh yeah, um, right. And and he mentioned that. You know, Juice would freestyle three absolute hits over Benny Blanco beats, um, which I'd have to go back and look. But the only Benny Blanco and Juice World track that sticks out in my head at the moment is uh, the uh, Vitamin C remix. What was it? Graduation. You guys remember that song? Yeah, it's been a while. Wow. Yeah. Way yeah. old. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that because that's that's a hit. Um and in this, you know, the praise he receives in this skit makes me feel that, you know, he ultimately may have a, a biggie type influence on on the Gen Z. Um, and me and Dwayne have had conversations in the past where about Peep where, you know, 
Dwayne, you had mentioned that Peep is is going to be Gen Z's Cobain. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He had that. He was counterculture uh, to the hip hop culture. Yeah, uh, in a way that Triple uh, X just wasn't. You know what I mean? Like X always seemed like he had that commercial edge to him. You know, uh, like more of Bush than Nirvana. You know what I mean? Uh, so I thought, thought people, yeah, definitely. If they go back and release some of his older stuff and like make it sound great, like his last release was, that yeah, he could definitely have the staying power of a you know a generational icon who is gone way too soon. Yeah, they still haven't officially released Hellboy, which you know once they get the clearances, I'm sure they will, but. I th- I think that Juice will will have the same effect. Um, maybe maybe not geared towards the same audience as Peep, um, but I think in in the Gen Z you know hip hop fan, Juice will will have the same effect that Biggie had on on our generation. Yeah, it very it very well could be. Uh, I think the problem with the Biggie comparison is there's no Tupac. You know what I mean? There, there's not a there's not another force that you can compare him to like Biggie and Pac. They were, they were same era. So like you, well, don't forget you've got pop smoke and you've got Nipsey hustle and maybe Nipsey is maybe more our generation, but you've got, you've got pop smoke. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking that the, that they're not the same, you know what I mean? Like they're not the same enough to be like, Hey, you're comparing apples to oranges now. Like they're, yeah, they're both rap, but like I listen, I listen, like I listen to pop smoke before i listened to juice actually uh and like i didn't get into it the way i got into this like it's just like like juice has got a vibe and pop just you know like to me isn't there yet which i guess you could say is the same way because like big wasn't quite there yet when pop was already there like you know what i mean like i think big needed that next album and that very well could be right. what pop needed to you know be on that same plateau yeah, and if you look at Pac and Biggie, there is significantly more Pac material than there is Biggie material. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was an asshole in the studio, so I mean, I can understand why and how that happens. Yeah, but uh, oh, back John, to the song, you know. Dad? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're good. Like the skit, like the location that it is. It's it's at the end, basically. Uh, to me, it's like you got all these praise, but I think it's also an explanation of the album. Pretty much like, hey, he went and did three or four takes to everything that you like. You know what I mean? So like, hey, we're remixing the things that you liked that are different. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he did these things that you love. And these are the ones that we didn't love quite as much. Like, so like... It's, yeah, it also, you know, reiterates the the statement that he has, you know, 2000 finished semi-finished tracks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. John, you got anything to add? I was going to mention the uh, little Dicky call out, but you've already mentioned it. Cool. Yep. All right. Track 19, stay high, which is produced by two fly. Um, I felt like this was a hit. Um, it, it had a solid hook. There was a lot of punchlines, um, followed by some real shit. Um, he had a line in there, I wish I could hit your phone, which 
maybe cliche at this point, but you know, there's that Bone Thugs track. If Heaven had a cell phone, and I'm sure somebody mentioned it before they did. Oh yeah, yeah. I think like five um, people heard the Bone song though. So and, and right, three of right, them are on yeah. this call. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do. I do feel like the second verse fell a little bit short, but. Yeah. Other than that, I, I thought it was a really good track. Yeah, I had the opposite feeling, actually. I didn't think it was a bad track. I thought that it had his vibe, but overall I thought the track was just forgettable, pretty much. Like, the verses and choruses were solid, so I don't have any complaints. Like, the beat was fine. Like, I don't have, like, anything I can say, yo, this isn't good. But So I think that the song just might be a victim of it not really being my thing. Um, but, yeah, it's like... I just didn't have like the thing where I was like, yeah, you know what? That's the one. Like, so to me, it won't even make a playlist. And, you know, in five years, I may play it, you know, the project all the way through and be like, you know what? That'll go on something else. But like right now, it just, it just seemed like it was a forgettable song. I can't blame me for that. All right. Twack. Twack. <clears throat> Twack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, track 20, Can't Die, produced by Die Crazy. Um, I would have liked this a lot better if it was the last track on the album. I felt like this was a good album closer. but Oh, my I- gosh, I completely disagree. I don't think this is the way that you wrap up the album at all. Ex- explain. Uh, well, I, I don't have a whole lot for it. I just when I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is not the way you're supposed to go to wrap up an album, especially when we get into the next track. I feel like the pacing is down. I feel like you lose a lot of the energy. I feel like you're going the wrong way for the end of the album. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I can hear what you're saying about that, John, but like, I don't know. I think that having that vibe at the end goes back to like the counterculture idea of a project where you don't want it to taper off. You want it to stop at the same energy at which it starts. That's fair. I could see that being the way. Yeah. So overall, I like the song. I, I love the vibe on it. I gave it an A overall. Uh, and again, I'm like, yo, if it had an X or a peak feature, I think both would have elevated it even one more step. And that's, that's pretty high for being an A. Like, it was a completed song, but I'm like, yo, it fits so in the pocket with the artist that I think that he would have been in competition with going forward, you know, because they all have the same kind of avenue. Um, I think that it was just great. Like, they could have, all three of them could have been on this song or a remix of it, and it would have been equally as good, if not better than this song. But I think that it was great right where it was. Um, but the whole project that overall seems a little long based on the fact that it's, you know, a lot of it doesn't sound like what he wanted. I think it is long because it's, it was put together after the fact. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it feels that way. Yeah. Cause if they had to cut it to like seven tracks, you know, take all my A's and your top whatever's, we probably have a good cross, you know, cross pollinization on those that you could probably make a good EP that he could erode for an entire year. You know, okay. tour, touring for no reason, except that we're not touring right now. Correct. We are, we are not touring right now. Yeah. Well, uh, Smash Mouth is. Yeah, but. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, he could they, um, they could hologram him and play his greatest too. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the we got we got an X and Peep track after the fact. 
um, you know, X was added later. Yeah, that, that, but we never we never got juice with either one. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, there's a couple of there's uh, like I think there's three where I'm just like, you know what, they would have definitely vibed together on these, you know, being if they you know, just put their little circles away, you know, and got it together on them, uh, that they could have turned out real nice for the culture, you know what I mean? Like that'd have been, you know, monumental. That's like big and pock, you know, being on a song together for me. And then like, you know, Jay Z and Nas first track, you know, for for this generation, you know, they're big artists, you know, that are in the same right. vein, that have dedicated fan bases that that will die hard and say that this artist is better than this one. All right, Marquise is with us now. Better late than never. Marquise, how are you? Wonderful. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Uh, glad you could join us for the last track of uh, Legends Never Die. I'm glad. This is uh, track tw- Go ahead. I'm glad to be here, even though it's the last track. <laughs> well, technically, there's That's an right. outro. Got- technically, there's an outro. There is an outro. Uh, track 21, Man of the Year, produced by Kudo and Skrillex. Um, I don't feel like this fits well at the end. It's it's a it's a good track. Um, I feel like this would be like a good concert closer, hey. but not a good album closer. Hey, so that's 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 um, one of my notes actually. Is that I think that he did exactly what he tried to do. Like he knew what he wanted to do, and it was damn near an anthem. Like it'd be great for show. Like that's exactly what I have in my notes. But to me, I think that the beat again is the problem with this. Like if they'd had an established band come and do this song, like you could throw a stone at any pop rock alternative type group right now to redo this. Redo this instrumentation, like basically the same notes, the same structure, and it would sound better. Like it sounds like it's just studio musicians because Skrillex put it together. You know what I mean? Like it's, I have in my notes that this is a blink One Eighty Two instrumental and it's a pop punk song and i've been saying for months that blink 182 was one of the biggest influences in hip-hop right now yeah yeah based on based on the type of weirdos and that's a not even a mean term i'm just saying you know like the counterculture right now like that's their thing you know their little wayne rebirth dna you know that that sent them in that direction and i think it's a great influence for this new generation because hip-hop needs to change into something else to live on pretty much so we're looking at we're looking at the comeback of the 80s hip-hop where you know instead of sampling they're just going to the groups you know and uh, travis barker is out there remixing anything and everything that he likes uh so i wouldn't be surprised if you hear a drum cover of this you know in the next year you know whenever he hears it and he's like you know what i should really do that so i liked it marquise what did you think of this track? I honestly forgot, man. I only listened to it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was oh, a little well, it was a little I generic, know. you know. What I mean, like it it was definitely different it, than anything else on the project. Well, I, I it I was generic. Definitely had big plans for us to do this when you said listen to it, and that was a week ago, and um, the whole album was too depressing for me to listen to twice. <laughs> It is depressing. We it is. discussed that you know depression and drugs is a is an overarching theme. Yeah, and anxiety and ODing and yeah, drugs. Yeah, it definitely had a vibe to it. John, did you like it? 
Man of the Year, I thought it had good pace and good energy. I didn't overly care for the song. I felt like it it didn't feel like it should have been on the album. But I feel like if he'd have done the last three songs in this kind of energy that he was in, that would have, to me, made the album wrap up a little better, more um, cognizant, if you will. Um, but other than that, what Dwayne was talking about, and you actually were talking about, sounding like it's the end of you know a show, that makes a lot of sense. And I could see that, and that would be... Uh, relevant at that point. Yep. And that leads us to the outro speaks from heaven, which I feel like is kind of, you know, in the same breath as the intro. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, cut from somewhere else, tacked on to the end. Like it would have ended yep. better with man of the year, like, cause it had a definitive yep. end, but instead you've got yes. talking, which, you know, kind of brings you back out of the vibe. Yeah. Um, so all in all, um, I would give this album a C minus. Um, Ooh, yeah, it's not it bad. Had, I gave it a C plus. Basically I did the old school style, you know, add the C's, the B's and the A's, you know, and divide by your number. So I ended up with a yeah. 2.83. So I, ended, <laughs> so I ended up with a C plus, uh, which I think is pretty accurate because I think it's average. Like, you know, I had some, had some glimpses of greatness, uh, but overall, like I said, my tone for the whole thing is the producers, I think, ruined some great ideas. And that if he was around, he would have filled in a couple of pieces that I had problems with. Yeah. Yeah. Which I could have made it a great album. Yeah, definitely could have elevated it to a solid beat uh, if, you know, the beats would have been better. And I feel like his previous album, Death Race for Love, was a great album. Oh, yeah. um, I feel like it's severely underrated. But yeah. The, yeah, this one fell a little bit short for me. Like it's got it's got some good ones that I'll listen to on a regular basis, but as a whole, uh, yeah, C minus. Yeah. It's fair. We're not Marquise, too far what'd off. What do you think? Aside scene. from it was depressing. <laughs> Keith, did we lose you again? I think we lost. Oh, he gone. Hello. Oh, hey, he's back. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I actually what give it a B think? minus. Hey, see so you right there where I'm even at. for being as depressing it is. Even it, with it being depressing, even though it's something that I can't necessarily relate to, I actually like the vibe of the album. Like not necessarily I can't necessarily say the same thing for the lyrics of the album, but I enjoy the vibe of it. It's something that I can listen to on a consistent basis, maybe in the background while I'm doing something else but it's not something that I can like uh, quote word for word or even attempt to, you know what I mean? Cause, but, but if I was like, you know what I mean? Working out a, or just taking a walk, like I can, I can listen to it on a consistent basis. As long as you're not walking on train they, tracks, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Definitely not a good album for that. The, yeah. Don't do that. The only, the only knock I have against it really is you know, I can't really get with it. The, the the feeling and the thoughts of the you know, of each lyric. So that's fair. It's it's not for everyone, uh, you know. But I feel like these type of lyrics are definitely more in the forefront. Of, oh yeah, of I absolutely agree. Things. Yeah. Well, that's that's how, that's this generation though. Like this generation, I had this conversation I think with Marquise where kids are way more in touch with their feelings now than we were. 
Yeah. Like it's okay. It's yes. okay to talk about these things now, as opposed to when we were just like, you know, sit down and shut up. Yeah, it's it's fine. Rub a little dirt in it. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, Marquise, did you not get on it because of what he was talking about, or how he was talking about it? Uh, it was more of what he was talking about. Like, I get it. It's it, it's good that that in music we can express exactly how we're feeling. Or, you know, the things the things that we're doing to cope with the way that we're feeling, but. Now, I, I really think we need to start seeing a therapist. <laughs> yeah, hip-hop well, I mean, doesn't have, hip-hop doesn't have insurance, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But music has that power to make you feel a certain way, and sometimes you just don't want to listen to sad music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Which yeah. is really crazy with this album, because as much as it is, as it is sad music, it's not. Well, yeah, it's presented in a different way. You know what I mean? Like it's right. it's like artists like this compared to Pete, like he is celebrating his issues pretty much as opposed to Pete who is just living in his issues in his music. You know what I mean? Like it didn't seem like he had turned that corner yet. And I think that comes with, right. you know, him trying to change a little bit uh, that we talked about it for the intro. Like, like if we go back to come and go, like you could totally hear come and go at a club or at a party but the the lyrics ain't about partying. The lyrics, you know, like right. But they're still talking about drugs and stuff in there, right? Yeah, but they're not glorifying it. Uh, but, yeah, but yeah, that's 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 the thing. It's presented in a way that that John thought was acceptable, pretty much. You know what I mean? Like it was it was it was uh, consumer friendly. You know what I mean? Like your parents could hear it. If they weren't listening, they wouldn't be tripping off of it. As opposed to yes, hear, that you, I could I could listen to it under my mom's breath without her ever knowing what was going on. Yeah, like it's not the it's not that dark tone that you know Peep and X often had, uh, where people could right. you know off the bat you know what that's that devil's music is what they would say you know what I mean like that's what we used, that's <laughs> right. what, that's the music that's what we used to hear you know like <laughs> like that's very much like so he's more approachable from a commercial standpoint like in the way and, that and he was put, put out there. I don't want to use a bias either because there's a lot of people that have made careers out of making depressing music or expressing themselves in a negative way during their, during their music. Like, uh, even if they're not talking about the same thing, like, I have not heard Adele make a single happy song. Yeah, and that's okay. That's it's, okay. it's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's okay to live in that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but you can't. But she does it in such a way in that it's great. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't need to get outside of her pocket. And that's the same way that Juice is. Like, he doesn't need to get outside of his pocket to be greater than what his subject is. Agreed. All right. So, y'all want to move on to the next uh, next segment? Sure. This should be the fun one. This this will be the fun one. Um, we still got to come up with a name for this segment. Um, we'll figure it out. But all right, we're going to be talking about Fresh Prince and Will Smith. Even though they're the same person, they're different entities in music. Which is which isn't completely unheard of, but it is a bit you know of a neat it, idea. It is a neat idea for the first one because I wanted to do uh, Pac and Big just to get it out of the way, but I, I really 
yeah. really liked this idea. Yeah, my problem with that is like it's done so often and you will never have a definitive anything. So I think right. as far as you're going to go, go for it on your first go that you should go for the hardest one possible where you're comparing an artist to himself. Fair. And I, I want to preface it this, that, that we're not, we're not comparing the actor. We're comparing music. Will the artist. Yeah, the artist, yeah. artist. Um, but I guess we'll start with fresh Prince, um, fresh Prince and DJ jazzy Jeff. Um, I guess the music ultimately gained him a TV show and, pushed him to be recognized nationally um prior to the tv show you know you could mention fresh prince and i don't know that the average person would know who that is um, fair no. i think i can agree with that yeah he wasn't he wasn't what do they call it a household name until after the show came out right because um, uh... yeah his first album but, but I mean, he was big. He was his music was big, but you had to you have to separate the circles that we ran in versus the general populace. So, like, my parents didn't know who the Fresh Prince was, and we were playing I, it in the and we were playing it in the house. To my understanding, right. I the, believe the Fresh first Prince, album went two times platinum before yeah, but, the show came out. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that his, his music his wasn't popular. His second album went three times platinum. Right. Just because you have a platinum record doesn't mean you're a household name. That's that's true. That's very true. There are plenty of platinum artists that I, we've all probably never heard of. Never. But yeah. I think the, the television show, you know, made him a household name. And in The Fresh Prince is looked at as a, a 90s icon, whereas... The the first Fresh Prince album came out in 1987. Yep. Yeah. And the one thing that and I and I love that album. And the one thing that sticks out to me on that album is the first track, uh, "Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble." Yep. Which is you know it's a fun track. It's lighthearted, but like if you really listen to the lyrics, that track is about sexual assault. Oh my! Yeah, yeah it is. that track is about a male being sexually assaulted by a female that came out in 1987. Absolutely. And it's presented in a lighthearted manner. And see, that's a, that's a thing with the Fresh Prince. Like, he, his focus was so much into storytelling. Like, he could do those things, and it wouldn't be a problem. And, like, the way jazz came to everything, and even to this day, when he produces, he sets the tone. You know, and so Will may have had a problem or heard about somebody having a problem. And you're like, you know what? That's a story. You know, just watching the news, like just hearing Will talk like he could have been watching the news and came up with that. You know, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, you're 100 percent on the head with the subject of the song. Yeah. And he's one of the very few that could have done that. Like he didn't set like to me, they didn't set out to make a radio song out of that. Because obviously you don't write about oh, that no. if you're trying to, but it became so popular and it's still popular in the hip hop circles because it's like that. Agreed. Right. I, I think the only time the Fresh Prince ever fell short, and I think Will Smith has attested to this, is uh, their 1989 album and In This Corner. Um, that was bad. It was a bad album. And Will Smith has admitted that was a bad album. It just, it just wasn't great. Yeah. yeah. Everybody has one. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, th- but, then, but then, you know, Code Red, too. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Code Red wasn't wasn't super good either. <laughs> yeah, but in their defense, they said they set out to do something different, and they did. Like, so they one hundred percent did what they intended to do. They did. It just it just didn't um, work out. What? So Will went solo in what ninety six, ninety seven? Uh, I think ninety seven yeah, was his first solo album, Big Willie style. Big Willie style, get, which get won jiggy four with Grammys it. and went nine times platinum. Yeah, but you also got to take into consideration the era in which it was released. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you, true. You After he was really... a household name. Well, no, 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 not even that. The musical climate, like. You've got you've yeah, got we weren't a, stealing music off Napster. Yeah, yeah. You got a plethora sure. of diamond artists at the time. So him going nine times platinum his first time out isn't surprising to me because he was a big name. He was in those major blockbusters and his music was solid. And he hired some of the best yes. ghostwriters to help him. And right. at this everyone point he was wasn't a household name. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. right. At this point, he wasn't a household name. He was an international superstar. Very true. Very true. Yeah, it was to the point people were surprised that the music came out. You know, from a a hip-hop fan standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and personally, I felt a lot of his singles were corny as hell. Well, see, there you go again. You've got to look at the time and when it was released. Because you're going to be, when we have the Eminem conversation, that's the same thing we're going to be saying about him. It was the, it was the time you had to write to your most common denominator, pretty much like if a, if, if a six it's year old could do it. Opinion. Yeah. So like when we listen, don't to, get me wrong. I like Will Smith's music and there's, I like Will Smith albums. I just feel like the singles were corny as hell. Yeah. That's the label. It, influence. You can say the same about Eminem. Like to me, the Eminem, the, the first single was always the comedy single mm-hmm. up and up until the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I think that, like I, said, I think that's the label, the label doing that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you, at that time, you needed the pop single as a rap act in order to get put out there to go ten times platinum, which is what everybody right. was going for. Because platinum was nothing. Because in '98, no, no Limit was releasing an album every two weeks, and those things were going damn near <laughs> platinum every time. And you couldn't name one of the albums. You know what I mean? Like nowadays, like platinum wasn't anything at that point you know like a million albums ah that's nothing yeah and, and even the next one willennium uh went two times platinum but when we when you get to to born to rain uh that's that's when he didn't go platinum and that's when we were stealing music off napster because uh does anyone know the controversy behind born to rain i don't remember no, no. So it was one of the first albums to have copyright protection on it, and it fucked up a lot of computers. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see that. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it, it did go gold. So I mean, I don't know the the I guess the people buying it they, they didn't put it on the internet, but uh, they, ultimately they bought it. Uh, his last album, Sound, also went gold. It was probably one of his best lyrically sound albums. Well, yeah, see, to me, it was a return to form almost. You know what I mean? Like, he made a conscious attempt to bring it back. Like, so he, he, like, my notes were Fresh Prince was very hip hop, focused on storytelling, didn't try to make a radio song. They just kind of turned out that way. And now, when Will Smith, like, he always had that near flawless delivery and technical excellence, you know? And I think that early in his career, he's just a victim of his Hollywood level. Like, he needed to do 
so well every time. And now that we're three in, he's like, yo, I've, I've already done this nine times platinum. I don't have any, we don't have a conversation anymore. You know, like I'm on LL Cool J level now, you know what I mean? Like icon, you know what I mean? Cause he's done That's it. That's a fair comparison. Yeah, yeah. Like I always said, like if they were to do a song together back then, the world would have stopped. You know what I mean? Like, cause they were, they were the biggest thing in their time. And I think that that was a good thing. So I think born to rain was just him, him stripping it back. Like, you know, with the exception of, you know, the men in black song that's on there, you know what I mean? Like he was really bringing it back. There's a lot of songs about him, about his family, about things that are going on with him instead of, you know, trying to make it a big production that everybody should love. Like, I think it was more of a return to their roots. That's fair. So, Dwayne, who are you going to, who would you, who, who's the winner for you? Fresh Prince or Will Smith? Uh, see, it depends on what we're talking about, but like to just personal preference, personal preference. I'm going to have to go yeah. with Will Smith based on the fact that that is later on. Like it was more well-rounded as a, a more well-rounded career. But like, I think that he had a lot of help in his Will Smith years, as opposed to his Fresh Prince years. So like sales and awards, they're kind of neck and neck pretty much like, you know, platinum albums, all that stuff. You take that nine times outlier out of there, you know what I mean? Cause that's just a victim of the age that it was that they are very similar, but I would, I would pick Will at the time. Cause there's more things like, I think lost and found the one nobody ever talks about. Uh, I love. Lost yeah, I think that's it's e- easily one of my top five albums. I love that album. Yeah, so I think that solidified it for me because uh, he's got everything. It, it sounds like the Fresh Prince. It sounds like Will Smith. Like he returned to one hundred percent himself. Like my favorite two songs are "Lost" by Will Smith, "Are Lost and Found," and "Wish I Made That," which are both on that album. You know, so I think that I would go Will Smith, uh, but. Just as a note, favorite Fresh Prince song of all time is Who Stole My Car. <laughs> you, you mean it's not She Bit Me? No, no. Or, no. or Nightmare on My Street? No, no, no. Those are both great songs. But, like, I think Who Stole My Car is, like, the perfect Fresh Prince song. It's like, if you take his persona on the TV show, who he was up to that point, you know what I mean? Like, that is so 90s. It's Dude, Where's My Car? You know what I mean? Like they made a movie based off this premise that he, yeah. that he did, you know what I mean? Like, but not nah, like it was perfect storytelling. It's, it's pure comedy gold. If you've never heard it, you need to go listen to it. Uh, so like I said, favorite Fresh Prince song, who stole my car, but I'd still choose Will Smith in a head to head competition. And to be noted, the greatest hits have a sprinkling of both, but the greatest hits choose Fresh Prince over Will Smith. Song right. for song. Keith, who are you going uh, with? Will Smith or Fresh I'm Prince? I'm always going with Prince. And that's because he has right. all of my favorite things. Fresh Prince has all of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say something about Lost and Found since it did come up. I hate the fact that there are three of the same song on the album. Switch? Yeah. I, I like all three songs. They are independently great songs. I hate that they feature on the same album. See, so the thing is, Will Smith wasn't going to release the single. You know what I mean? Like, the era that he grew up in, 
if you go even go back to the Fresh Prince days, he would release a single and that single would have four or five different remixes on the song, like on the second, on the uh, single disc. And so people would play that, DJs would play that. So he 100% did what he always did. And yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird to have him on the album, but he wasn't going to release them any other way. Like nobody was going to buy the Switch single in the day and age in which it was released. Because he, le- he learned that on, that, Bo- he learned that on Born that's to Rain. Fair. Nobody's going to buy the single. So if he wanted it released, he was going to have to release it. All right. So I'm going to go with Fresh Prince um, with an asterisk. So I, I, you know, I enjoy both. Um, I prefer Fresh Prince based on subject matter, matter and storytelling. The reason I'm going to say with an asterisk. Um, so we all know that, you know, pain and heartbreak make for good music. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, due to recent events, if Will Smith releases an album in the next year, it's going to be fire. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we've all, we've all heard <laughs> Will. So, I mean, if you haven't heard I'll Will like, be... with Joyner Lucas, you need to, uh, I think it'd be fitting that he drops it in August of 2021. Yeah. See what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, if he decides to drop an album, it's going to be fire. But on the other side, if you've heard any of other Will's latest music, they're not there. Like the Joyner Lucas track was nice, but he's got five or six other features and songs that just aren't up to Will's standards. In, in the uh, last couple of years, I think the, I think he had to come up to Joiner's standard there because uh, I've been saying unless Kendrick decides to drop at the end of this year, Joiner's got album of the year for me. Yeah, it's a conversation we'll have in December. Like Joiner's yeah. nice, so I've got I've got no complaints. But yeah, no, he definitely came out of his bag uh, to get on that track. So I think it was a good good appearance for 2020 for Will to pop up on that song. Like if there was any other song, I don't think he would have done what it needed to do. So far right, from me, so this results in a draw. I just want to put that out. All right, so this results in a draw. We got two for Will Smith, two for Fresh Prince. So jury's still out on that well, one. Well, no, there, there's no jury because, like, like I said, the greatest hits is almost a clean split between yeah. the two. So yeah. our opinions, I think, are a perfect representation of the artists. Like, you know. You right, can, exactly. You have, you have sure. enough love on both ends that you're just like, yo, I got to more or less flip a coin uh, to decide which one. And, and see, in a week, you may flip your mind and be like, you know what? That's got the slight edge because that's where we are mentally. Entirely possible. Yeah. 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 So that I think that means that he should be in a GOAT conversation. He, see, it depends on what we're talking about because if you're talking about rapper, just straight rapper, yes. Like he's got it to, like I said, technical excellence in near flawless delivery, like with whatever he does, but he's going to always have that asterisk next to it. You know, all the ghost writers helping him do his thing, you know, and uh, they, you know, Rakim, uh, Rakim, you know, helped write summertime and all those kind of things. Ludacris and everybody, you know, Nas, all the writers like, so he's got enough in his history where he never hit it, you know, which was great, but in that same respect, you'd have to put him in the same category as Drake, like pop rappers instead of songwriters due to this entire catalog. 
So like you, we could probably do a whole deep dive on Drake. Well, yes, but that, that, that's what I'm saying. Probably like like Will Smith to me, yeah, we could have him in the conversation of greatest of all time, but you can't put him up against the greatest lyricists of all time based on the ghostwriter status. But with popular ghostwriters, he's better than Puff Daddy, but is he better than Drake? Did he have ghostwriters on his first album? No, probably not. I'm not saying that, you know, Drake might not have ghostwriters on his first project either. But, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, that's going to be part of the conversation. So you can't put an artist in the best lyricist competition with that in there because we're not talking about you know just help with the chorus or something you know what i mean we're talking about good chunks of songs because you got to look at the whole discography not just you know pick and choose like you know so like i said we would have to have a you get to lay it out what criteria we're using for best artist or best right you know lyricist or best you know performer or whatever you know, to put him in a conversation. But yeah, no, I say Wills should be in the competition for best rapper. Like longevity covered two decades. You know what I mean? All right. Before we get out of here, recently added. John, what are the last three tracks you added to your library? Um one of them was a Halsey track. It was Castle. That's a solid choice. One of them was a yeah, I like I like that one. Actually, two of them where I don't remember what the other um, title was called, um, and the other one was a Juice World track. Um, oh, what was the one we were talking about earlier? Uh, we talked about it's not on this album. Smile. No, I know that wasn't on this album. Smile. Are you talking oh, about uh, Lucid Dreams? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Lucid a solid. Dreams. Yeah, Lucid yeah. Dreams. So you're a little behind with that. So. Well, I'm a little behind with a lot of music stuff here, buddy. Hey, but no, I'm I'm real glad to hear you say that you did that because at least you went back and listened to something else. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. your first introduction yeah. to this artist and being as a, a person who doesn't listen to hip hop outside of what's presented to you to go back. I mean, that's a sign of you know somebody actually potentially becoming a fan of an artist is to go back and listen to the stuff that you're oh, yeah. not presented with. Yeah, I could definitely see myself becoming a Juice World fan. Um, not necessarily because of the album we just reviewed, but um, including the album that we reviewed, it, it definitely gives off the good vibe that I like. The you know that's why the Halsey songs were added. They have just a great vibe about them. You know what I mean? Yep. I added uh, "Breakup" by Murs. It's a solid one. Uh, mostly because that's a track I used to listen to uh, after high school for no other reason than I liked it, and I had completely forgotten about it, and uh, came across it, so I added that. Um, one that was suggested to me uh, by Apple's algorithm is "Fantastic Negrito Chocolate Samurai." Dude, it sounds um, familiar, but I'd have, to, right. I'd have to listen to it because it sounds like it's, something I've dude, come across. It's like a, it's like a funk bluesy track. Um, it, it's dope. I liked it, like, so I, I added it. Um, and the last one is the All That theme song by TLC. Nice. Um, that, so, yeah, so they added that on Apple Music, and I, I couldn't help myself because uh, I, I don't care. I'm a 31-year-old man. All That is my favorite television show of all time. <laughs> See? Old, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I yeah. wish we're getting old. You wish it was what? I, w- I wish it was on DVD or uh, or Blu-ray or any sort of streaming service. It, there's a best of on Amazon Prime. So you're talking about the original and not the stuff that's happening now. 
Because so, I believe it's still on, it, right? Is, yeah, am I it, it has been rebooted, and uh, Keenan Thompson is the executive producer. Um, so I did watch the first episode of that, and it had a lot of throwbacks to the, the original show, but that was kind of a one-off deal. Um, the, the reintroduction? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're doing that a lot now. They did, like, Girl Meets World, and, you know, they, the, it's, it's fun, whatever, but it's not the original. Well, yeah, they're trying to make shows no. for us to present to our kids. Like, it's a, exactly. it's a gateway drug to have our kids watch our stuff. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, agreed. That's why all the movies are the same and all the shows are the same. <laughs> yeah. Keith, what do you got? Uh, can we hear me? Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, the first song is, can you hear me? Amorian is too pain. I added that. I believe uh, the second one is uh, Jafar Jackson got me singing. Yeah, got me singing by Jafar Jackson. Yeah, that came across my playlist last week. I think. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't even know that the Jackson kids were making songs. Yeah, they're they're, uh, what is it? The uh, Paris or whatever. She's doing like an indie album. Okay. Like an acoustic indie album. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this one, this one's real nice and slick. You know what I mean? Uh, I thought I was gonna find more from them when I found this, but I didn't find any more from them. So I'm gonna just, I'm gonna hold on to this one. And the last one was shockingly there was a there was a song back in 2019 released by John B and Donnell Jones. Ooh, that I didn't know happened. Well, yeah, I mean, being a John B fan, you know, I haven't put the little you know the little heart next to him on Spotify, so that's probably why I missed it. But yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna have to dig that one out. All right, Dwayne, what do you got? All right, I got three. So, uh, Lecrae Zombie. So, if you haven't heard it, and Marquise, if you haven't heard it, you're super tripping. Uh, so, rap song, super uplifting, uh, semi-gospel sort of appeal to it. Uh, I, and I then, saw it. I just haven't put it on any – I haven't listened to it, but I saw it. Oh, uh, the second the second we get off of here, you need to listen to it and then send me a thumbs up because I just changed your life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then my next one is a is a pop song artist in real life song she do. Um, a lot of what gets caught in my algorithm from Spotify due to having kids music and show tunes and Disney and lo-fi and instrumental and all these things is uh, I get some interesting, not popular pop music. And that's one of those uh, where the songwriting is great and the instrumentation is on par with what's on the radio. It just hasn't made it there yet, uh, which usually if it comes across my algorithm like that, give it five or six months uh, and they'll have something on the radio. And the next one is sort of similar to that. It's got it's got pop sentiments in it, but it's not. It's a uh, JP Sachs, so JP space S A X E song called "Hey Stupid, I Love You." Uh, great representation of relationships. Uh, basically, he's talk, he's talking to his girl. They having problems, and basically he's saying, "Hey Stupid, I Love You." Like you tripping. This is what it is. Uh, highly recommend those three. Uh, Fit, they'll fit pretty much into any playlist that you put them in. Hey, stupid! I love hey, you. stupid! I love you, J- <laughs> JP Sachs. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, I guess that wraps it up for this week. Um, we'll be back next week. If there's anything you want us to discuss, feel free to send us an email at putonarecordpodcast at gmail.com. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>